I'm Sam McLaren-Fahey, and this is You Survived, Now What? Each week, we hear from a survivor, we learn their story, and we ask the question, now what? This week's episode deals with grief and loss. Infertility, pregnancy, and infant loss seem to be topics that just aren't discussed until you're smack dab in the middle of them. Luckily, times are changing, and we are all realizing just how common these issues are. I've seen so much change in the openness of conversations about infertility and miscarriages in the last few years, and even in friends finding out midway through a pregnancy that something is wrong. But until meeting today's guest, I had not been around conversations of what happens when everything about your pregnancy is perfect, you've made it to the finish line, and then everything goes wrong. I survived. I survived. I survived. Now what? My name is Lindsay. I'm originally from Bridgeport, Michigan, but now my partner and I live in Flagstaff, Arizona with our cattle dog pup named Arlo, whom we just adore. I'm a foster mama. I'm Lennon's mama, and I'm also currently pregnant. I'm also a teacher too. I teach first and second grade. Life before my trauma. I feel like I pretty much had a charmed life growing up. I have a family who loves me. I have a lot of great friends. I wouldn't say my life has been perfect by any means, but up until about April of 2019, I pretty much felt like I was one of the luckiest girls in the world. I met my now husband, Kyle, my freshman year of college. The summer after he graduated and the summer before I graduated, we got married. When we were in college, we dreamed of leaving Michigan and exploring the world together. I kind of always knew that I wouldn't want to live in Michigan forever. My husband's job gave us the opportunity to move to Flagstaff. We sold both of our cars, we packed all of our belongings into a U-box, and we officially moved out here about two days before our one-year wedding anniversary. I feel like my life was just so perfect, like even down to our dog. <laughs> so it sounds so silly, but life was really good. I'd always wanted to be a mom and I was like, you know, we've been married a year now and now just seems like a good time to maybe start trying to expand our family. We got pregnant very quickly after moving out to Arizona. We had quit our birth control and two months later we took a pregnancy test and found out that I was pregnant. We were absolutely over the moon, just so excited and everything was going according to plan and our timeline was so good. I was 24 at the time. I had a very textbook pregnancy, like everything was just so very normal. My husband and I decided that we were going to use a midwife because I've never really been a fan of doctors or hospitals. We started looking around for a midwife. That's when we met Margie, our midwife. We had an interview with her and we went in and she originally had a birth center at the time. And so I thought, let's do a birth center birth. And then she was like, actually, I'm gonna be closing down my birth center. I'm only doing home births from here on out. And so I had never really like thought about home birth before, but I knew I didn't wanna give birth in a hospital and a birth center had seemed like a kind of good in-between, but then we just loved Margie so much. Like we just felt like she was perfect for us. And so we were like, I guess a home birth it is. <laughs> A midwife is a medical trained professional. So they go to medical school and they get training in delivering babies. My midwife has delivered over 500 babies. For me, like an OB is an expert in delivering babies too, right? That's what their job is. My midwife, she's also an expert in delivering babies. That is what she does. So then we started having regular appointments with Margie and we learned more and more about home birth and the benefits of having your baby at home. And we started to feel really confident with that decision. She started seeing us once a month at first and she saw us at nine weeks. I think that was one of our first appointments. And Margie doesn't have like an ultrasound machine or anything like that, but she has a fetal Doppler monitor that she can use to listen to the baby's heartbeat. So at our nine week appointment, Margie asked like, do you want to listen to the baby's heartbeat? And we were so excited. She got the Doppler out and started listening. And it was just like the best sound in the world to just like hear your baby's heartbeat. And it's just amazing. You're like, I can't believe that my body is like <laughs> growing a human. Like it was just so surreal and 
and we were so in love. So we had another appointment when I was 13 weeks pregnant. Because Margie had found the baby's heartbeat so quickly at that nine-week appointment, I kind of assumed at this 13-week appointment that the same thing would happen. And so I was like laying back on the couch and she pulled out the Doppler and she started rubbing it along my belly, trying to find the baby's heartbeat and she couldn't find it. And I started to panic. I was really scared. I looked over at my husband and I could see that he was looking scared. And from where I was laying on the couch, like I had a perfect view of the clock on the wall and I just was watching the seconds tick by and I was just waiting and I watched five minutes go by, watched 10 minutes go by. And of course, like Margie wasn't silent the entire time, but you know, and she didn't really seem worried. So I tried not to be worried too, but I just, I was like, how long is she gonna make me lay here while she searches for the baby's heartbeat before she tells me my baby's dead? Like I just, <laughs> this is torture laying here waiting. So I would really, really like her to just break the news if that's what it is. She moved the Doppler a little bit lower down my belly and like found it almost immediately. And just overwhelmed with emotion and started crying. And we started making jokes like, oh, that's probably not the last time the baby will scare us. You know, like <laughs> kids scare their parents all the time, you know, and that was definitely really scary. But like I had mentioned before, the rest of the pregnancy just continued to progress beautifully. Everything was very normal. 20 weeks, we went and had an ultrasound. We had to have a follow-up ultrasound at that one because we couldn't see baby's fingers or toes. And so we had to go back and make sure the baby's fingers and toes were there. And we confirmed that fingers and toes were all good. And we also found out at that appointment that our baby was a girl. And so we were really excited about that too. At about 26 or 27 weeks, we flew home to Michigan. We had the most wonderful baby shower at home. Everyone was so excited for us. We just were so happy. We prepared the nursery. I was taking pictures of my belly growing every two weeks. I was dreaming about what it would be like when she was here. I'm so over the moon in love with my husband and I just could not wait to like see him be a dad and he's so good with kids and I just knew he was going to be an amazing dad and I couldn't wait for just what our life was going to be. I was I just felt like things were going absolutely perfectly. As we got closer and as we continued to learn more about home birth, we just got more and more excited about that. And we were feeling really confident in our decision. I planned the birth like I was planning our wedding. Like we had a birth photographer lined up. Um, we had someone who was gonna come take video. We had hired doulas, which are birthing coaches. And so the birthing coaches were gonna come and help me with labor. Kyle and I had taken a Bradley Method class, which is just like a birthing class that teaches you about how to cope with labor. And so we felt like we knew what we were doing. I knew that birth was gonna not be the most comfortable thing in the world, but I was like, this is gonna be fine. Like I wasn't scared. Like I just felt ready. I just knew my body knew what it was gonna do. So I felt really good about it. And we were really excited. The week leading up to her due date, it was April and my dad came out to visit, Kyle's mom came out to visit. My dad had brought his girlfriend with him. I'm really close with her too. They had come out to kind of help us prep and get ready for the birth. Make sure we were stocked up on like paper towel and toilet paper so that we didn't have to leave the house if we didn't want to once the baby was born. My dad and his girlfriend had decided like, we're gonna come out at 39 weeks and we're gonna stay for two weeks and hopefully she's born within that like two week window. <laughs> so I had felt a little bit of pressure I was like, this child needs to be on time. <laughs> so I was trying to do some like exercising to try and get some, maybe some natural labor, some natural um, induction methods going. Actually the day before she was born, we went for a walk at this place called Buffalo Park here in Flagstaff. And it has a lovely view of the mountains. All throughout the park, my husband and I were stopping and doing squats because I was in this <laughs> prenatal yoga class. And I was told that by doing squats, it opens the pelvis 45% 
100% more um, than usual. And so I was like, that sounds like a really good like number for trying to push your baby out. So we're going to do squats and I'm going to be used to doing squats so that when I'm in labor, you know, things go really smooth. <laughs> and so we were like walking and then we would stop and do a bunch of squats and then we would keep walking and do more squats. My legs were actually like really sore <laughs> for a while after that. So then came her due date. So it was April 21st, 2019. It actually fell on Easter Sunday. I woke up in the morning and I was like, I've been trying to like get labor going. I was like kind of ready. <laughs> at 39 weeks, I was like, my, I actually got really swollen at the end of my pregnancy. Like my feet swelled up and my fingers and like any pregnant person will tell you like the last month is like hell. <laughs> like you're just uncomfortable. You're like so ready. So I had already been trying to get things happening. And so I woke up like on her due date and I was like, oh, I'm still pregnant. <laughs> but also like maybe today is the day, you know, like maybe we get to meet our baby today. Like you start to wake up and think, oh my gosh, our baby could be here today. So I woke up on Easter Sunday on the 21st and we had made plans to go to church. After church, we all came back to our apartment and my dad plays the guitar. And so he was playing guitar and we were like singing and it's like having a really nice afternoon. Then we get ready to go to dinner. We're like starting to get ready. And I feel like maybe I'm having contractions, but I've never had them before. I've only been told about them. And it wasn't like anything was really painful. I was just like, maybe these are contractions. I don't know. Like my, my belly was starting to feel really tight and then it would stop. And everyone's like, should we still go to dinner? And I was like, yeah, I think we're fine. So then after dinner, everyone's like looking at me because of course I've been talking about my contractions all through dinner. And they're like, what should we do? And we were like, go home. Everyone's going to go home. We're going to go home. You're going to go to your hotels. We had been told by our midwife and by our birthing coaches, our doulas, we had been told that if you want to have a successful home birth, you need to make sure you are well rested you need to make sure you are well hydrated and that you've had food. And so our midwife had warned us, she said, a lot of first time moms, they will think they're going into labor. So then they like get really excited and clean their house and do all this stuff. And then labor stops and they like haven't slept because they're too excited running around, getting everything ready. And she's like, and then real labor will start. And then they're like exhausted. And when you're tired, you can't cope with anything. So then they want to like go to the hospital. And so we really didn't want that to happen. So I was like, okay, we're going to go home. We're going to try to go to bed, even though we were really excited. And it's probably like 8.30 or 9. And I'm just like, still having contractions and I'm too excited. And so I'm like, I'm gonna go get in the bathtub for a little while and float for a little bit and see if I can calm down and maybe see if like these wanna fizzle out or not. And so I got in the bathtub and then it was like pretty obvious that I was having contractions because things started to feel a little bit more uncomfortable. And so I was like, Kyle, I think, think this is real. Like, I think it's happening. And he's like, okay, we're having a baby. Like he just jumps out of bed. He's so excited. We have been given some instructions. You know, our midwife was like, you don't need to call me right away because you can labor a really long time before it's time for me to like show up and get the baby out. When you start cussing and when you start feeling like you don't want to keep your pants on, then that's usually a good time to call the midwife. And I was like, okay, so great. We're like a really far way away from that point. We just started getting everything ready. I had like prepared these birth mantras that I could repeat over and over to myself. And um, I had had all intentions of like getting them ready before the birth, but like then labor happened and I was like, oh no, my birth mantras aren't done. And so I started like hanging up all my birth mantras. We were told to have our washer and dryer empty so that they could throw like any towels or sheets that get messy right into the washer for us so that we didn't have to worry about laundry. <laughs> so we had a, a load of clean clothes in the dryer. And so Kyle brought me this basket of clean clothes and he's like, start folding the clothes. And I'm like, why are you asking me to fold the clothes? And he's like, maybe it will distract you. And I was like, okay. So I'm trying to fold clothes and that wasn't working. I was like, I cannot fold these clothes. Like they're going to have to wait. <laughs> so then I started like walking around and I was like, okay, this is starting to like really feel <laughs> like we're in it. We're doing it. And so um, it was probably around 11 o'clock, 1030 maybe PM. And I was like, let's call our doula. And she came over and she was helping me 
yeah, I had gotten to the point where I was definitely <laughs> swearing through my contractions, like it was starting to really hurt. And so I was on my hands and knees because that just felt like the best position for me at the time. Then when I started having contractions, I kind of started feeling like I was like ready to push, which was kind of weird because I was like, we've only had like intense labor going for like an hour or two now. My doula was like, I think we should call your midwife now because we were kind of waiting. We were like, should we call her? Like, we don't want to be those parents that call too early and have the midwife show up and then she's like waiting around for us to give birth. So we called our midwife. My midwife was like, do I have time to make a cup of coffee? And Kyle was like, yeah, for sure. Like make a cup of coffee and then you can come over. In the meantime, we had like woken up our birth photographer who had to drive up from Sedona, Arizona, which is about a 40 minute drive. And we woke up my friend Heather, who had agreed to help support me in labor too. And so she was coming over and my dad and Megan were coming over. So we called all these people who were kind of like part of the plan. Margie got there probably, gosh, maybe sometime after midnight or one o'clock. Kyle had blown up the birthing tub. That is where I had planned to give birth. And so I had gotten into the birthing tub and I was really enjoying the way the water was feeling while I was having contractions. It was really helping me manage my pain. And so I was in the birthing tub. I'd only been in there for a few minutes. My midwife got there and she had a birthing assistant with her and they started carrying some things in and trying to get some things set up. But one of the first things that my midwife tried to do was look for the heartbeat. So she got out her Doppler and like she had done thousands of times before for me. And she started trying to find the heartbeat on my belly while I was in the in the birthing tub and she couldn't find it and I was thinking like does that thing even work in water like I'm in the birthing tub maybe she just can't get it because she's because I'm in the water you know and I'm like trying to move around in the tub trying to find a different position so that maybe I'm like maybe I'm in the way like maybe she can't get it she's like I'm so sorry I can't find it like I'm gonna need you to get out of the tub she's like I know you're <laughs> really having some contractions here but we need to I'm gonna have to have you get out and I was like okay she had me get out of the tub and I laid on my back on our couch which I did not like I was <laughs> very upset to be out of the tub and I was kind of annoyed because I was like this is annoying like my midwife should probably know how to find the heartbeat at this point but I was like whatever let her find it and then I can get back in the tub right she starts moving the Doppler like all over my belly and just like cannot find the heartbeat. I started to get nervous, but I also remembered that 13 week appointment where we couldn't find it. And I was like, you know, she's done this to us before. And you're also like, nobody's baby dies while you're in labor. this is not a thing that happens to people. Like, this is not a thing. Like, she's gonna find it. There's some weird thing happening. Like, the baby's in a weird position. That's why, like, she can't find it. Like, there's obviously going to be a reasonable explanation for this at some point. So I was, like, scared, but also not. I don't know. And then finally, my midwife was like, I'm sorry. She's like, we need to call an ambulance. Like, I, I'm gonna keep looking. She's like, but I can't find it. Again, I'm scared, but I'm also kind of annoyed. So we call 911, you know, an ambulance arrived and I didn't have any pants on and I was having some wild contractions at this point, like they were right on top of each other. While we were waiting for the ambulance to arrive, my midwife checked my dilation and I was already at a 10. So for those of you who don't know about birth things, a 10 basically means like the baby is ready to come. Like you can start pushing at that point. And my friend Heather actually, who was there helping at the time, she was like, I was pretty sure I saw her head <laughs> at that point. And so I was like getting very close to like delivering the baby. But then the ambulance showed up, the EMTs came in, they put me on a stretcher. They were trying to like check my vitals and things. And my midwife just started yelling at people. And she was like, we don't have time to check this. Like she's about to give birth. Like we need to get to the hospital right now. Like, you're going to have to check her vitals later. She's yelling at my husband to get in the car. She's like, get in the car and drive. I'm going to stay in the ambulance and I'm going to try to find the heartbeat the whole way there. I don't even remember how did I feel. <laughs> 
during that time, like I'm mostly embarrassed because there's all these people that I don't know and I'm on a stretcher and I don't have pants on. I'm having contractions and I don't, all of my coping methods that I had planned on using, I couldn't really use those anymore. And so I was in a lot of mental distress, but also physical distress at the same time. And so we get to the hospital, Kyle gets there and he's holding my hand and someone comes in and they put like a machine on my belly, probably an ultrasound machine. I don't know, something more advanced than the Doppler. And they're looking for the heartbeat and you hear like <laughs> the worst five words any parents will ever say they've ever heard. They said, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. The sound that came out of my husband's mouth, I can't even, I don't even like thinking about how it sounded because it was just so terrible. Like. My husband is an emotional man, so I've heard him cry before, but I've never heard him make a sound like that before. You know, he's like, there's no way. He's like, bring something else in, somebody else, like have somebody else check, you know? And the person who was looking was like, we can try this other machine, like maybe our machine, maybe there's something wrong with this machine. And Kyle's like, yes, please, like bring in a different machine. Let's try this again. And so they come in with a different machine and a different person again. I'm sorry, like your, your baby's gone. Kyle was like begging for a heartbeat and I I just didn't even know what to think. It didn't feel real. Like I mentioned before, nobody's baby dies while they're in labor. Like I just thought something has to be wrong. So then finally a doctor came in, an OB, and she was like, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm crying. Kyle's crying. We're miserable. And I'm just wondering like, what do we do now? Like I didn't say it out loud. And I heard the doctor like say to other people in the room, we're just gonna wait for her to deliver the baby. And then I was like, oh, I have to like still push the baby out. Like I still have to deliver her. I don't know. I think I thought maybe like, oh, maybe they'll just like put me to sleep now <laughs> and make this like hell go away. But then I was like, oh no, my work is not done actually. I am in the worst mental pain I've ever experienced, but now I also need to go through the worst physical pain of my life. But then like, I don't know, it's so weird when you're in a moment like that. I'm sure other people who have experienced intense trauma or intense stressful moments like that, like you just, I don't know, your, your mind tries to grasp for things that will help you survive and get through it. So I just thought, you know what, maybe if I can just push her out, like maybe a miracle will happen, you know, like I love God, maybe God will make my baby live. Like maybe it will be a miracle and this will be like a crazy story that we get to tell our kids forever and ever, right? And so then I just got really focused on like, I'm gonna push my baby out. It was really hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And, and it was crazy too, because my contractions had started to slow down because your body is so smart. When you start to feel stress or when you start to get scared, it will actually say, oh, actually it's not a safe time to deliver your baby and contractions will slow down. So contractions had slowed down quite a bit since hearing the news, but then they started picking back up again and I started pushing and I had Kyle on one side and my doula was on the other side and my midwife was down at the foot of the bed and she was coaching me through my contractions. And I really appreciate that the hospital staff kind of just like let my people do what I wanted them to do. My midwife stood at the end of the bed and coached me through the pushing pretty much up until the point where like the doctor had to step in and, and catch. My midwife pretty much did everything up until that point. And so I'm thankful that the hospital staff let them do that. The doctor caught my baby and actually before she came out, her head had come out and my husband has this lovely image that I don't, <laughs> stuck in his brain where the cord was wrapped twice, very tightly around our, our daughter's neck. And they actually had to have me stop pushing so that they could cut the cord so that she could finish coming out the rest of the way. And so she came out and the room was silent in a way that you don't expect after your baby is born. And they put her on my chest and I was looking at her and she felt warm, which I remember thinking like was so strange because you're used to like people who are dead being cold to the touch, but she was still warm for my body. And I was holding her and looking at her and I just remember thinking she was the most beautiful thing in the world, like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen.
I was just so proud that she was my daughter. I was so proud of her. I just thought <laughs> I made this beautiful baby. She was perfect. She was just absolutely perfect. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and I was so in love with her. You know, even though she was dead, I was so in love with her. I just thought she's, she's perfect and she's mine. And I'm just so proud. It was really wonderful to just have her here. And even though I was so heartbroken that she was, she was dead, I was so happy she was here. And I was proud of myself that I was able to do it. I was like, my baby is here now. And I was like, the pain gets to be over now. At least the physical pain gets to be over. Like I've done the hard part of pushing her out. And so I, I don't know, I didn't know what to do next. Um, but then I, I don't, I don't even remember what that time looked like, really. I just remember holding her and loving her and just being so happy that she was here. Then the doctor who had caught her, she said, we started to notice that had some time had passed and I still hadn't delivered my placenta, which is like the last step when you give birth. It's the organ that makes sure all your, your baby gets all the nutrients it needs during pregnancy, which my midwife has a theory for why it, why it didn't deliver. I guess it happens pretty often when you have a stillbirth. And so they have a protocol of waiting about 30 minutes, but after 30 minutes, like the placenta still wouldn't detach. And so the doctor was like, so we have a couple of options. Like, I know you really wanted to do and have a natural birth without any pain medication, but I need to go in and I need to get the placenta. And she's like, and you're not going to like that. <laughs> so she's like, we can do it that way, or we can try like some general anesthetic through your, your IV, or we can try an epidural. And I, was so ready to be done with pain. I was like, let's do the epidural. At this point, we decided to go back and get the epidural and they separated me from my husband for a few minutes, which was terrible. But then when they started to try and put the epidural in, they, I had back surgery when I was 15. I had scoliosis. And so I have two metal rods on either side of my spine with some screws holding it in place. And so they tried to put the epidural in and the needle wouldn't go in. I, there must have been some hardware in the way in the way so they were like we can't we can't do this and so the doctor was like okay so we can go back a step and try the general anesthetic or we can you know put you under and I was like I'm so ready for a nap right now I was like let's do that and so you know I had surgery and next thing you know I'm asleep and out and I wake up in a recovery room Kyle's there and he has our daughter and he's holding her and I'm like, has anyone weighed her yet? <laughs> you know, the nurse was like, I don't know, but I can do it right now. And so they weighed her with me right there in the room and she was seven pounds, eight ounces, which I just thought was like the perfect size for a baby. They measured her from head to toe and she was 20 inches and a half long. You know, they gave her back to me and I was just holding her and really happy. And Kyle was really tired understandably so. He's like, are you okay? Can I go sleep? And I was like, mm hmm And so he left and he sent my dad in to take his place. And so it was me and my dad and uh, gosh, I mean, I know I was like living my own personal hell, but I think watching my dad watch me live my own personal hell was like another form of personal hell. Like it was just terrible. My dad and I are extremely close. And so, um, you know, we were both just like staring at each other. I had all these questions that I didn't even know how to articulate, but I was like, we'll have a funeral, right? Cause like, I had never been to a dead baby funeral <laughs> and anyone else been to, I don't, probably not a lot of people have gone to funerals for babies. And so I was like, you know, do we do that? And my dad was like, of course we'll have a funeral. And we just like kept talking about how perfect our baby was. We had decided to name her Lennon. Her name is Lennon Jane. We chose Lennon because for us, we really like the Beatles. <laughs> but for us, Lennon also kind of, the actual meaning of the name is lover, which we had always hoped that Lennon would be someone who spread love to people. But we also associate a lot of the Beatles music with peace. And so we just really thought Lennon's gonna be someone who makes people feel at peace. She's gonna make people feel at loved. Like we could just really feel that was who she was. And I was talking to my dad about her name. Just kept commenting on like, her little fingers and her little toes. And she had all this dark hair like mine. 
and we were like touching her hair and looking at her and I was like, do you want to hold her dad? And my dad was holding her and we were taking turns and I was still kind of fuzzy coming out from surgery. And then the doctor who delivered Lennon came in and she was really sweet. She started like touching my hair and holding my hand and telling me how brave and strong I was. And and she like looked at me and she was like, you'll get pregnant again. And she's like, and I would really consider having your next baby in the hospital. And that was like the first time that I had considered that maybe Lennon's death was my fault. I thought, oh, you're saying because I didn't have my baby here, that's why she died. And that first little like seed of doubt crept into my mind. And I was like, that's maybe Lennon died because of me. <laughs> and that was really hard for me to process. And she left the room and I looked at my dad and I was like, did she really just say that to me? And my dad and I were like, yes, <laughs> she did. She did say that. But I was like, maybe I didn't hear her correctly or like, I don't know, things are still, it just seemed like it was a really, like that was really weird timing. Um, but that was kind of the first time. And so um, then I went back to my recovery room and we spent about, so Lennon was born at 5.26 a.m. on April 22nd. And we spent mm, just over 24 hours with her in the hospital. And so those 24 hours were kind of a blur, but also like some of the most beautiful moments of my life. Lennon, they put her on a cuddle cot, which it, for people who don't know, a cuddle cot is a bassinet with a cooled mattress underneath. When you die, the body starts to deteriorate pretty quickly. But if you are kept cool, if your body is kept cool, it can slow that deterioration. And so a lot of families who have experienced a stillbirth are incredibly grateful for these cuddle cots. Some families do not have access to a cuddle cot. And so the time that they get with their baby after birth is cut very short. And so we're super thankful that we did have access to a cuddle cot because it gave us the gift of time. We were able to use a washcloth to like wash her up. Everybody held her. My mom had made plans to come out the week after Lennon's due date because she wanted to support me postpartum. So my mom had to change her flight plans and moved her flight up so she was able to get there really quickly, but she made her way to the hospital and my mom got to hold her. My dad held her and read her a story and Kyle's family got to hold her and we called our, our, our photographer. She came to the hospital. I think the birth videographer, someone called her and told her what had happened and she was like, oh, okay, I'm not needed here. But our birth photographer, she came to the hospital and she took pictures. I think my dad's girlfriend came into the room and she was like, hey, Chance is here. She's offering to take pictures. Like, do you want her to come in? And I was like, yeah. Like, I didn't know how to answer that question. Like, do I want someone taking pictures of me in like the most horrible moment of my life? You know, like, do I want my picture taken? Do I want Kyle's picture taken? Do I want people to take pictures of Lennon? Part of me felt I struggled with like shame and feeling embarrassed almost, especially like after the doctor did tell me that she thought I should have the baby in the hospital next time because I felt like it was my fault. And I was like, my, my baby's dead and I don't, I don't know. And even when we posted on Facebook that she was dead, nobody said congratulations on your beautiful baby. People were just like, I'm so sorry. We're praying for you, which like is understandable. And that's probably what I would have done too, had I been in their shoes. But like part of me really felt embarrassed almost, even though I thought she was the most beautiful thing in the world. I was like, I know there's lots of people that will not walk up to that casket at the funeral. Maybe nobody wants to see my baby. But I'm so thankful that we said yes to her because we have, I mean, they were, it took us months to look at those photos, but she gave us a gift that there's no price tag you can put on that gift. There's lots of people who like hospitals or stillbirth is common enough where they do have plans for these things. They have the cuddle cot and then sometimes they do have photographers that they can call in and have take pictures. And I, I know this one mom who said, we, we said no. And she's like, we don't have any photos of our baby. And she's like, I regret that so much now like you can't get that back we had a chaplain come in and do like a blessing they put her in a little like ivory dress and put some oil on her head and our pastor came and instead of prayer we had lots of visitors come in and out someone from the funeral home came in and 
Actually, the name of the funeral home is called Norval Owens, and they actually, the couple that started the funeral home, they also lost a baby. And so they were kind of familiar <laughs> with the situation in a way that you don't want to be familiar. But they came in and started asking me details about my daughter's funeral that I hate. I hated answering those questions. I was not interested. And I just kept crying and saying, like, I can't believe I have to plan my daughter's funeral right now. We finally got through the meeting and they got the information they needed at the time. And we had been given the option to bring her home with us from the hospital if we wanted. But I knew that bringing her home would actually, at least for me, it would have been too painful. And so we decided, no, when it's time to leave the hospital, like we're going to leave Lennon here. <laughs> I remember like that first, like that night in the hospital after she had been born, Everyone kind of went home and it was just me and Kyle and we were watching the TV, like the small little TV in the hospital room and Oblivion, the movie Oblivion was on. And so we, we held Lennon and we watched Oblivion and it felt kind of normal. We were like, we'd probably do this if, you know, she were alive. Like we'd probably watch a movie and hold our baby at the same time. And so we kind of just like let ourselves enjoy that time. The next morning, we made plans for um, the funeral home to come and pick Lennon up at about 11 o'clock. And so, and we were supposed to be dis discharged almost immediately after that. And I give, again, I give the hospital credit. My nurses were incredibly kind. They made sure that we were put in a room far away from all the other mothers giving birth so that we didn't have to hear anyone. You hear horror stories from other families who have had this happen to them where they've had to listen to laboring mothers or they've had to listen to a newborn baby cry in the room next door to them. And I'm grateful that we did not have that happen for us. They came and got Lennon and when they took her, that was, that was really terrible. That was really horrible. You know, we were all just hysterical. I think part of me just still like thought, I was like, I'm living in a dream, like this is not real. And there's no way that this is happening to me. This is not how my life is supposed to look. Like we really had the perfect thing going for us and that's not it anymore. And so we walked out of the hospital without our baby and we went home. The week following her death and birth, again, quite a blur. Um, I spent a lot of time sleeping or crying or trying to numb my brain by watching some TV. People would come in and bring me food and say, it's time to eat now. And I would say, okay. And I would eat. I tried to shower. I tried to make myself go outside. My husband is a hall director. He works with college students and he primarily works with college students when they are in distress. I'm a teacher. I, we just, we knew like what we were supposed to do for people who are in a mental crisis, you know, where like you're supposed to make sure you eat, you're supposed to go outside and get fresh air. Like we knew what we needed to do, but like actually doing those things in the moment was really hard. Like it was just incredibly difficult to even like breathe, <laughs> if that even makes sense. And we just got through like that. Hundreds of people sent us messages on Facebook. My husband talked to a lot of people on the phone. We had booked a photographer to come and do some like fresh 48 photos of Lennon when she had been born. And the photographer sent me a message and was like, any baby yet? <laughs> and I was like, oh hell, she doesn't know, that sucks. And so my husband called her right away and she was like horrified. Yeah, I don't know, we just kept kept moving. There was a meal train that was probably originally set up for, oh, the Lester's have a new baby. Let's get him a meal train. But then it was like, oh, the, the Lester's baby died. So let's have a meal train. So people came and they brought us food. We had a funeral. We had a funeral showing. And mind you, Kyle and I had only lived in Flagstaff for about a year at this point. And we filled an entire room at the funeral home with just people. Our family, family who could come from Michigan came. People from Kyle's work, people from my school. And I had a couple of second graders come to Lennon's funeral. And um, wow, if those parents are like listening to this podcast, thank you for doing that. Because it meant a lot to me 
that you were willing to bring your child to something that would be really uncomfortable and difficult to explain. And the kids brought me a lot of comfort. And so I'm really grateful that they came. We had the showing, but then we chose to do like a private burial. We buried her and actually we live on campus because my husband is a hall director. There are actually two cemeteries that line either side of the university. And so we buried her in one of the cemeteries here on campus in the children's section, which again, it's like terrible that a children's section of a cemetery even exists. And we had a burial and and I, I kept asking people like, what do I do now? Like I have made I have made plans to have a newborn and now I do not. And I'm desperately sad. And how does anyone live after something like this? I didn't know what to do. And so I kept asking people and people were just like, you know, you just keep going. (laughs) Somehow I did. I hear a lot of loss stories these days. For anybody who has experienced loss like that, I'm always just amazed at like our heart's ability to just continue to just survive. At about six weeks after her death, I took to Instagram for the first time. I had posted that she had died probably 24 hours or so, sometime within that first so that first 24 hours. I had posted that she had died on Facebook because I didn't want anyone asking me, where's the baby? Are you in labor? But then six weeks later, I decided I was going to post about my feelings on Instagram. And so I started talking about, you know, grief. I was like, we're getting through the only way that you can. And that is just by going. You just have to keep going. That's it. I'd actually seen a cloud in the sky that looked like a little baby wrapped in a swaddle. I told Instagram, I was like, I saw this cloud in the sky and it reminded me that my baby will always be with me. Like Lennon will always be a part of my life. She will be here forever. Then I started like, I don't know, you start grasping for hope because you just really want to feel hope again. And so I started looking for other people who had been through what I had been through because I felt really alone. Like when you look at the statistics, the chances of stillbirth are one in 160. And so Those numbers, I don't know, statistics, I have a weird relationship with statistics now because like one in 160 seems pretty common, but like it doesn't matter even if it's not that common because when it happens to you, like who cares about the number, right? And so I was, I don't know, I was looking for other people. I was like, I need other people and I need to see other people who have like lived through this and I need to see how they did it because I really felt like I don't know how to do this. Um, And so I started like searching hashtags that people would probably think are really strange, but like things like stillbirth as a hashtag on Instagram or stillborn, still loved as a hashtag on Instagram. And I followed these hashtags and then I started to find other people who had lived through this. And I started talking to other moms who had lived through this and they really got me through, to be honest, because people, they do their best, right? They send the meals and they send the cards and they send the flowers and they say stuff to you to try and comfort you. They say things like, you know, God needed another angel (laughs) or she's in a better place, you know, things like that. And they do their best and people try and they don't, they don't get it (laughs) Um, unless you've lived through it. And even people who have lived through it, like they can't know all the way, but they know a little bit more and they at least know that they can't know fully. And so the way that they interact with you is different. I don't know. Not that I got like handed a survival guide or anything, but I was able to see like, oh, these people are surviving and I can do this too. Um, I started following this one mom who was pregnant again after her daughter was stillborn. And she had gotten pregnant three months after her first daughter was stillborn. And she posted on her Instagram all the time about pregnancy after loss and how it was really hard, but how it was also really special. And she was like, I'm never going to forget my daughter. Like, I'm never going to forget my firstborn you know, and I was really inspired by her story. And so I thought, you know what, that can be me. I said, I can get pregnant again too. My life doesn't have to be over. You know, I was so desperate to be a mother. I just wanted to be a mother. I had prepared for it for months. And then my opportunity to to be a mother was ripped from my hands. 
I was miserable with that idea of not being a mom. So I thought, yeah, I'll get pregnant again. Like, and we'll always remember Lennon. We're not trying to replace her. We never could. People who suggested that maybe we were trying to replace her by getting pregnant again, they just didn't get it. There's no replacing Lennon. She's perfect and she's our first baby. And I just, I found a lot of comfort in that. You know, I was like, this is how we move forward. This is what we do. Kyle and I tried to get pregnant again pretty much as soon as we got the go-ahead from our midwife. One month passed, nothing. Two months passed, nothing. Three months passed, nothing. And I was like, you know, it took us two months with Lennon. It's fine. We're not going to panic. But after about six months of trying with still no success, I started to really worry that something was wrong with me. And I had returned back to work because she was born in April. So school started again in August. And I thought, you know what? Being around the kids is actually going to be amazing for me. Um, like, I'm ready. I need to get out of, the, of my house. I need to stop staring at the walls. Like, I think being with children is really going to help me. And so I decided I was going to go back to work. And that was the year at work that, like, everyone decided to get pregnant. And so all my coworkers around me were getting pregnant. And I wasn't. And I was just miserable. Like I was so sad every single month when it wasn't happening. I just thought like, <laughs> I just thought not only did my perfect baby die, but now I'm also not going to be able to have another one. And I'm grieving Lennon and I'm also grieving my future as a mother and I'm having to like rewrite my plans. And it was so hard. <laughs> it was so terrible. My husband and I decided around Christmas time of that year that we were actually gonna try and get licensed to be foster parents, which I thought, you know, I am destined to be a mom. And I said, maybe this is how we do it, you know? And I've always wanted to be a foster parent. I have always had a heart for foster care and I like have a heart for families. I care about families and I care about keeping families together. You know, we always talked about doing this later down the road once we have kids of our own, whatever that means. But like, now is a great time to do it. Like why, there's always a million excuses why we shouldn't. We got licensed and um, actually in March, right before Lennon's first birthday, we got our first placement and we had two little boys with us for five days. <laughs> And then they got moved to another foster home where they had gotten separated from their sister. And so they went to the foster home with their sister who had room for three, where we didn't have room for all three. They left about a week before Lennon's birthday. And I think that was maybe the universe's way of allowing Kyle and I to have the space to really celebrate Lennon's birthday in the way that we wanted to. And that day was really special for a lot of different reasons. And after Lennon's first birthday passed, we got placed with another child, an eight-year-old girl. It was really hard. <laughs> she um, was with us for five months to the day. She actually just went home a couple of months ago and she taught us a lot about parenting and um, she validated Lennon's life in a, in a lot of ways that you wouldn't expect either. We found out actually right after we started fostering her that we were pregnant <laughs> again. And that was, a, that was a lot too. I was so happy that it had finally happened for me. You know, our foster daughter knew that we were pregnant and she would say really sweet things to me like, I'm pretty sure this one's not gonna die. <laughs> and I'd be like, you know what kiddo, I really hope, <laughs> I hope you're right. <laughs> the past five months had been really special with her and we built a really great relationship with her mom and now she's home, which is, we're so happy for her. And um, grateful that we had the time that we did with her and because we kept such a great relationship with her mom, we still are able to keep her in our life, which um, is really special because the last thing Kyle and I needed really was another loss. And it just felt like, a, it felt right. Like she gets to go home and we still get to be part of her life. I don't know, I guess that kind of brings us to today. It's been really tough because the closer and closer we get to my due date, the more and more terrified I feel that this could happen to me again. A lot of people say stuff to me like, oh, like God would never let that happen again. <laughs> but I know lots of people who have experienced tragedy twice, 
three times, four times. Um, and so you don't really feel off limits at all. And even as I sit here now talking to you, I know this baby could be taken from me too. And sometimes I play this fun game where I think, oh, like, what would I do if this baby died? <laughs> It'd be really hard, but I, I know I'd probably survive because that's what you do. <laughs> you just, you just survive. Lindsay and her husband had survived. It seemed like for a while they wouldn't, but life always has a way of pushing you forward with your grief in tow. Lindsay is active on social media and active about sharing her story and offering support to those in a similar situation. So I asked Lindsay to share a few words to those who may be listening. Advice I would give to someone in a similar situation. Gosh, this one is like really hard for me still because I do have, I have women who approach me on social media all the time and they share their babies with me and it's always such a privilege when they do it. I'm always so honored that they're sharing their babies with me. I always say like, what is your baby's name? If they didn't name their baby, I ask them to tell me what they think their baby was like or I just love hearing about their babies because I know I love sharing about mine and a lot of people won't ask because they are worried about making me upset or they think I like don't want to talk about her or they just think it's weird to talk about someone who's dead. <laughs> but for me, it's a gift. I love to be able to talk about Lennon. I love to be able to talk about what I think she would be doing if she were here. I love to imagine what her personality would be like or what she would look like or the things she would be interested in. It's like my favorite thing. So for anyone, who finds themselves in a similar situation, I guess the first thing I wanna to say to you is I'm so incredibly sorry because burying your child is a horror unlike no other. And I know that thinking about facing the rest of your life without your child probably seems unbearable. You need to know that your feelings are valid. Every single feeling, it's all valid. The anger, the shame, the guilt, the bitterness, the jealousy, ooh, the jealousy, it's valid. Like I felt so much jealousy within that first year. I was like, why did my baby have to die and everybody else's lived? And I would feel really angry and I would say stuff to people like, I'm just so sad and so unhappy and someone else is pregnant and it's so painful and people would be like, well, you have to be happy for them. Like it's not their fault Lennon died. And like, I knew that, I knew it wasn't their fault. But I was like, also though, I'm not happy for them. And does that make me a terrible person that I can't be happy for them right now? And um, I just really needed someone to say to me, like, you are not a horrible person. It is okay that you feel this way because it is. And the people who love you and are ready to support you are gonna stay and everybody else can go and you should let them go. Because <laughs> a lot of people have left since Lennon died. And you know what? Like, we're better for it. I feel like Lennon has given me a lot of gifts and that's one of them. It's just like letting people go if they're not gonna love you and support you for who you are. Feeling validated, I really struggled with that. I really needed someone to tell me that my feelings were valid and so I want you to know that your feelings are valid too. And it doesn't make you a horrible person because you feel any type of way. Like it's a, it's a feeling, let yourself feel it, honor it, and then you can figure out what to do with it. But if you just like shove it down and say, oh, jealousy's bad. Like we've been told we shouldn't feel jealous of people. Just, you know, we're special and unique and love yourself. Um, if facing the rest of your life seems daunting, then just focus on the next day or the next hour or the next minute or whatever it is that you need to do. You need to get through your day in whatever way that you need to get through your day. Some days I just laid in bed and did nothing and that was okay. And if that's what you need to do, then do that. I so badly wanted someone to hand me a survival guide. It doesn't exist, but your heart is more resilient than you would think. I remember thinking some days my daughter is dead and so I'm going to die too. Like I'm in so much mental pain, like I will probably die too. My heart is just gonna stop beating one of these days and miraculously it just continues to beat and yours is gonna do that too. I had moms tell me in the beginning and it sounded so ridiculous to me, but they were like, you will not always feel this way. 
And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, my daughter is dead. I'm miserable. Like, what do you mean that I'm not going to always feel this way? And they're like, I don't know, but like your grief just changes. You're going to laugh again. You're going to smile. You're going to feel joy. Those things, they will come back to you. And it seemed so foreign to me. And like I said, I thought they were ridiculous, but they're right. I do have days where I feel pure, genuine joy now. I remember the first time I laughed, I was kind of weirded out. I was like, oh, we still know how to do that. (laughs) Cool. You will laugh again. You will smile. You will be okay. You'll be different. You're changed forever, but you, you will be okay. I want people to know that because I worried for a long time that my life was no longer worth living. And that's a really scary spot to be in. So you need to know your life still has value and your life is worth living. Find your people, people who can support you. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I will listen to you all day. Like, come find me. It doesn't matter. Get yourself a good therapist. You need a therapist. (laughs) My therapist has been a godsend. I think probably all of us could benefit from a good therapist. I'm probably going to be in therapy for the rest of my life. Like, it's fine. In America, we are very used to giving birth in hospitals. There's actually this documentary called The Business of Being Born. I want pregnant people to know they have choices. If you want to have your baby in a hospital, do it. If you want to have an epidural, I kept saying the word natural birth, and I've been trying to change that because it don't matter how you do the birth. Birth is natural. It doesn't matter if you use an epidural or not. You do what feels best for you. Birth is hard. That's a lot of work. And so I'm really, I'm trying to get away from that. But yeah, you need to know you have choices. I feel like a lot of the times, like, you get pregnant and we're just told like that's it you go to the hospital and you have your baby this way and then they do these things to your baby after it's born it's all just normalized and streamlined part of the reason we loved margie so much is because she presented everything as a choice every stage she would be like here are your options i'll tell you what i know about the options you should do more research about your options and then you choose what feels best, you know, because it's your body and it's your baby. And I just felt incredibly empowered in that. And um, I think we're like under the impression in America too, that like giving birth and sometimes it is like if I were high risk in any way, I could not work with Margie, but for your standard pregnancy, Like having your baby at home is completely safe. Our bodies know how to do this. And so I felt like if I don't need any intervention, I wanna just do this at home. Like I just wanna be in the comfort of my own home. Hospitals, they do amazing work, but they freak me out. They're like really clean and they smell weird. And I associate hospitals with where you go when you're sick or when you're gonna die. And I just was like, I'm not sick and (laughs) hopefully no one's gonna die it felt like the best choice for me to be at home and so a lot of people really respected that choice some people didn't they were like you're insane (laughs) why are you not going to a hospital and I was like you don't have to get it (laughs) it's okay because we feel good about it there's all these things we figured out that Lennon's death was because of the cord and sometimes there are other issues that cause stillbirth but they literally called Lennon's death a cord accident like that's why she died it was a cord accident so there was nothing anybody could have done to prevent it I really struggled with that doctor making a comment to me about I really think you should have your next baby in the hospital because I was like why though like are you suggesting that she might have lived had I come to the hospital because the more I thought about that I was like it's not true when they first wheeled me up the people who were wheeling me up the nurses kept asking me when's the last time you felt this baby move and I couldn't remember so it had probably been somewhere between three to five days since we had last had our appointment and heard her heart beat when Margie came to try and find it again and like that question that they asked me like when's the last time you you felt this baby move when's the last time you felt her kick I still don't know it took me a really long time to get to this place and it took me a really like a lot of hard work with my therapist to not blame myself for her death to just say we did everything right we did we did everything right and her death was a horrible accident and I feel a lot of comfort now and just knowing like it was nobody's fault it was no one's fault it wasn't mine There was no doctor to blame. It was just a horrible thing that happened. Sometimes it is hard for us to wrap our heads around the fact that we have come so far with medical and technological advances, and yet something like this can still happen. 
that an accident that's been happening to families for hundreds and thousands of years can still happen. Now, you don't need me to repeat this, but I will. What that doctor said to Lindsay was awful. Not only did she imply that this was somehow Lindsay's fault, but she started with, you'll get pregnant again, as if Lindsay's grief and Lennon's life somehow didn't matter. Lindsay is now pregnant again, and Lennon's life is still very much a part of that. So I asked Lindsay to tell us, now what? We're pregnant with baby number two right now, and this baby is due January 15th. We are planning another home birth, and we're really excited to do that. We are using the same midwife. We are using the same doula. We've added a doula. Our birth photographer is gonna come and take photos. Same birth photographer. We're still deciding whether or not we wanna do video this time or not. But we've been talking with them and we've just made it very clear that we want Lennon to be a part of it. And she's gonna be a part of it forever. I feel like she is so much like a part of me. And I don't even always know how to describe that, but we are just connected. Like I feel like I can sense her presence. I can sense her thoughts. She's really great at showing up in ways when I need her to. And we talked about like how her name represented like love and peace for us. And I think she like does that for a lot of people. Once I started being pretty active on my social media, people started sending me pictures of sunsets or flowers or just like really beautiful things, like random people that I didn't know that well. And they would just be like, I saw this and I thought of Lennon or I was having a really hard day and I was on my way home from work and um, this like sunset appeared in the sky and I just knew it was Lennon like coming to say hi to me and that like really means a lot to me because we're a year and just shy of seven months out from her death from her birth and death and people aren't forgetting like that's the gift for me that's what I want other people to know like I've made it kind of my mission to just like normalize grief I think with COVID happening we're all grieving something like maybe it's not someone's life, although a lot of people are grieving the lives of someone who has died from this disease, but also life circumstances. People are losing their jobs. You know, I think about kids who didn't get to walk at graduation. People aren't being able to see their loved ones. Like we're in a collective state of grief. Everybody feels grief. I think I thought for a long time that I had to like put a time limit on it. Like I needed to stop grieving her after some point. And I've learned that like, nope, <laughs> I get to grieve her forever. And while on one hand, that seems really daunting to think I have to live with the death of my daughter. But then on the other hand, I think like she gets to be a part of my life forever. Like she always will because I get to love her forever. Her little sibling is going to know about her. I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but I know they're going to know about her. We're going to have her picture up and we're going to speak her name and we'll always include her in the count of how many people are in our family and she'll always have her name on an ornament on our tree and however else we can include her she'll always be a part of it a lot of people when we got pregnant again everyone went oh thank god <laughs> like we can we can all stop now like we can all stop like finally the lesters like have their happy ending like they're pregnant again and you know that's not it <laughs> It, it's still really hard. It's still really hurt. I have days where it sounds terrible, but other other people who have lived through this, they will say, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've had days where I've thought that this baby was Lennon, like I will wake up and think I'm still pregnant with her. I've had days that I even kind of wished this baby was her and that I was getting another, that I was getting a do-over. But, you know, we've realized with this one too, like we don't want this baby to live in her shadow either. We have Lennon and we will have this baby and just like if Lennon were alive, a new baby is not going to replace her. This baby is bringing something completely different and unique to our family. You can follow Lindsay on Instagram using at lins.lester. It's L-I-N-D-S dot L-E-S-T-E-R. Thank you for listening to this episode of You Survived, Now What? Please share the show with a friend or in your feeds. And if you are connected to this show through a specific episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to the rest. These are incredible stories from incredible humans. This show is hosted and produced by me with music from Evan No and cover art by my rad dad, Max McLaren. You can find us on Facebook at You Survived Now What and Instagram at YSNW Podcast.
If you'd like to share your story, you can leave us a voice message right on our website, anchor.fm forward slash you survived, now what? Tune in again next week to laugh with us, cry with us, and survive with us. And remember to never tell anyone it could be worse. I survived. I survived. I survived. Now what?